Have you ever wanted to be invisible? It's such a great superpower, but devastating if you really don't exist because you are stateless. How would you feel if there was no place you could call home? Think about home as you listen to some dunker punk music. I don't want to be rich, don't want to be popular, don't want to be selfish, no. Wanna be a goat, don't wanna be ignorant, don't wanna be blindfolded, I just wanna be countercultural. I don't wanna be violent, don't wanna have a vendetta, don't wanna be vengeful, no. I don't wanna be a soldier, don't wanna be militaristic, don't wanna help that cycle, I just wanna be a countercultural pacifist. I don't wanna be a racist, don't wanna be a capitalist, don't wanna be sexist, no. I don't wanna pass judgment, don't wanna hold grudges. Wanna be hateful, I just wanna be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditional lover. I don't wanna shop at Walmart, don't wanna grow Monsanto, don't wanna drink Coca-Cola, no. I don't wanna burn petrol, don't wanna eat perfect fruit, don't wanna feel guilty, I just wanna be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditionally loving organic gardener. I wanna be authentic, I wanna be radical, I wanna be optimistic, honest, beautiful, I wanna be humble, I wanna be progressive, I wanna be open, I'm inspiration. I wanna be like John Wesley, or Sarah Major, or Anna Mao. I wanna be like Martin Luther, or Martin Luther King Jr. Like Santa Claus, Johnny Appleseed, Dirk Dillon, or Gandhi, Alexander Mack, John Klein, George Fox, Jesus Christ. But mostly, I just wanna be me. I just wanna be me. What does stateless mean? Imagine not having any way of proving you are from, well, your hometown or your home state. You have no ID, no way to prove citizenship. You can't drive, and most places you can't even buy a cell phone. All this means you have no rights because you don't belong to any country officially. You also have no health care, and you can't get a job, all because you have no ID. No one claims you. No country befriends you. There's no place called home. Today we bring you a focus interview from Nate Hostler. Nathan Hostler is the director of the Church of the Brethren Office of Public Witness. There are thousands of people without a place to call home. You will hear about some of the most prominent cases of people who thought they had a home in the Dominican Republic, but a Supreme Court ruling in the DR, as it is abbreviated, 
left them with no place to call home. Listen as Nate interviews Jeff Boshart, a member of the Global Mission and Service staff, and the World Council of Churches staff member, SEGMA, for a definition of statelessness. Hello, I'm Nathan Hustler. I work for the Church of the Brethren in their Office of Public Witness, and also I'm a minister at the Washington City Congregation. Uh, on today's podcast, I'm going to consider the topic of statelessness, which I'll get a definition in a few moments from a colleague, the World Council of Churches. Uh, the Church of the Brethren, particularly through my office, got involved with working on statelessness about three years ago. The World Council of Churches was putting on a, an event here in Washington, D.C., and at the time I was working part-time for the National Council of Churches, and through a series of passing the the task down the line, uh, I, and then ended up giving to my brother and volunteer service worker, Brian Hanger, ended up um, organizing some me- meetings for the World Council of Churches. But from this meeting, I met um, Segma, who works for the World Council of Churches in Geneva, and uh, learned started learning about statelessness. Uh, the interesting connection for the brethren is that the there are brethren in the Dominican Republic who are caught up in a situation of statelessness. So I'll first have Segma from the World Council of Churches give a, a bit of a definition of what statelessness is, and then I'll talk a little bit with Jeff Bosart, who works for the Global Food Crisis Fund uh, and has worked uh, extensively in the Dominican Republic and Haiti about a, a trip that we took together uh, to meet with brethren in the Dominican Republic and Haiti to discuss this issue. So I'll start first by uh, turning to Segma, who was coming to the U.S. a few a few weeks ago uh, to uh, for another event, and I asked her if we could put on our briefing uh, here in Washington D.C. on statelessness. So while she was here, I, I I sat down with her and got her to talk a little bit about her work and give us a definition of what statelessness is. Thank you, Nathan. So um, WCC started uh, working on the issue of statelessness uh, in 2010. During the CCA, uh, the Commission of the Churches on International Affairs meeting in Albania in 2010, we were given the mandate to take as one of our programmatic priorities the work on statelessness. Since then, we have done a number of uh, visits to areas affected by um, where statelessness was is prevalent, such as uh, the Coxbadar area in Bangladesh, where a number of a great number of uh, Rohingyas live in um, makeshift camps and are uh, living in slum-like conditions. These are people who are not considered by as citizens, neither by Myanmar nor by Bangladesh. So this is one or one community of stateless people in the world. Um, statelessness is the lack of legal bond between an individual and a state. It's the absence of nationality. It's the opposite, the antonym of nationality. And because they don't have a nationality, most of stateless people are uh, not entitled to basic human rights that we usually take for granted, such as the right to education, to healthcare, to open a bank account, to own a car, to own even a mobile phone. Sometimes you need to provide an ID. Stateless people do not legally exist, so they're invisible to the society. And because of that, uh, as I said, so they face a wide range of human rights. Our advocacy work is about uh, raising awareness about their plight, about their situation, make them known to the community of churches and also others, 
and advocate on their behalf because even if they don't have a legal identity, they're entitled to basic human rights and we are we have responsibility to make sure that they um, get these human rights. After talking with Segma, I called up Jeff to hear his thoughts on the situation with persons of Haitian descent in the Dominican Republic. Jeff and I had traveled to the island in December 2014 to discuss this issue with the church there. Jeff, could you tell us a bit about the situation and also the church's response to this? Sure. When we made our visit in December of 2014, we found that, particularly in the Dominican Republic, that uh, those Dominicans of Haitian descent and, and Haitians that were living in the DR and had been there for some time were in a beginning to beginning to the reality of, of the Supreme Court decisions taking away citizenship from numerous um, numerous people was was beginning to set in and they were, there was real fear uh, particularly among uh, the more vulnerable parts of the population the elderly and uh, those living in rural areas because they had very limited access to Haiti. They had been so long since they had been in Haiti, those who were of Haitian descent that had been there for years and years, and those of Haitian Dominican descent uh, who had never been there, whose parents or grandparents had come to the DR. So the, the ruling by the Supreme Court in the Dominican Republic was was quite frightening. Uh, and questions of deportation were swirling. Um, there were stories, some true, others, I don't know if they were justified, if, if they could have been verified or not, of, of real um, physical danger from Dominican mobs who were the real anti-immigration immigrant sentiment was, was building in the country. And Dominicans within the church, Dominicans of Haitian descent within the church, really appreciated your visit. And it began them thinking that quite possibly they could do something. And they didn't just have to accept the situation. And, and so that began conversation between the U.S. church and the, the Dominican church about what exactly helping the Dominicans would look like. So our Dominican Haitian brothers and sisters brought a proposal together. The first proposal they brought us was, was quite expensive and involved lawyers and kind of doing it on their own. And and it was fairly fairly expensive and we weren't sure that was the way we wanted to go. Um, several months moved along and it, the deadlines for getting people registered that the government had given for their regularization process were getting closer. And uh, one of our young Dominican pastors, Gustavo Bueno, was able to uh, make contact with uh, some larger organizations within the Dominican Republic who were working on the issue. And that proved to be the key that, that really opened things up. One of the one of the pieces that I'm, I'm interested in thinking about uh, for this podcast is the relationship between um, 
the church generally, but also in this case the church in the Dominican Republic, the church and their geographic location. You, you talked about this a little bit, and I remember specifically um, visiting with some elderly gentlemen out in sort of the countryside in Bataille and talking about how they had moved to the country decades ago and said, if we go back, his, his wording was, if we go back, we'll die, um, just because, you know, he's so old and so frail. And, and as brethren, we often have um, had a sort of ambivalence between uh, our country, perhaps. So we're, we say we're, we're, uh, we follow Jesus in this in some way, uh, changes our relationship to our country. And so this, the idea of being stateless or in some cases being uh, not, uh, not missed but being refugees is also, it feels like an interesting theological question or interesting question about how do we, how do we feel at home or, or what does it mean to be at home in some place? So I won't ask you on the spot to reflect theologically on those things, <laughs> unless of course you have uh, thoughts on that immediately. But in your talking with members of the church in the Dominican Republic, what was your sense of how they felt about their their home? Those who had immigrated there from Haiti, um, did it feel like their home, or, or did they feel that they were um, Haitian who happened to be, work, be living in the Dominican Republic because of work? Um, those who were, you know, been there a long time and had children, children and family there, um, they were they should be legally Dominican. Um, how, how do you, how did you hear them talking about being citizens of a country or not being citizens or having their status in question? Well, there were two categories of people in the Dominican Republic, and the reactions I think were very much along those lines, uh, based upon which category they they happened to find themselves in. Those who, and by the way, the law was pretty sweeping. So it wasn't just current immigrants, legal or illegal, but those who had been in the country, had been born in the country, um, and possibly had been, whose parents and grandparents had also been born there. And so it goes quite a ways back, uh, close to 100 years back, a, a ruling that would have drastically changed the way everybody thought about themselves. And those, so the first group are those who were uh, Dominican citizens. They had paperwork, they had, you know, birth certificates, they had passports, they had plenty of official documentation which would say they were Dominican. They were born there, their parents had, some some cases had been born there, and they were feeling very much their whole lives that they were Dominicans. They may have felt some issues of connected to racism, being Haitians of Haitian descent in a Dominican, you know, largely Dominican culture. But they they very much saw themselves as a as Dominicans, or at least a um, not Haitian. Although they had pride in their Haitian heritage, uh, they were very much moving into Dominican society and all its realms, educationally, vocationally, and saw themselves as a part of 
the Dominican Church, and we're we're quite shaken by a ruling that may take that all away from them. Now, now that group was was feeling, in, in some sense, uh, defiant and and maybe even combative uh, that they were they were going to do what it took. To, to prove that they were Dominican and they had worked hard to feel Dominican and and fit in with society. And now the the second group, and and this would be the group that the elderly folks that we met fit into, were people that came on their own from Haiti many years before, and no longer had connection, hadn't been back to Haiti in 30, 40. Some of those folks probably 50 plus years they were probably came as teenagers and they were now in their 70s for them uh, although their life in the Dominican Republic was hard it had become all they knew it had become in some sense home to them and theologically speaking I think as as church members there they they would not have felt you know a, a real loyalty to the, the nation or the country that would supersede their their loyalty to Christ and the church but the, the thought of of leaving where family uh, was living where they had worked as uh, younger people was was very uh, very chilling to them and I think that elderly gentleman was probably right the sacrifice to go back to Haiti would have been huge. An important component uh, when thinking about this context in the Dominican Republic and its relationship with Haiti is the history. So Jeff, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on why there are often tensions between these two countries and also the relationship between this and why there's um, such extensive migration from the, from Haiti into, into the DR. So the, the relationship between the two countries, Haiti and the Dominican Republic, has never been been very good. Uh, historically, there has been great fear and distrust within the Dominican Republic of the outsiders of Haitians, and that dates back to the the uh, 1800s and post. Haitian Revolution times when uh, the Haitian army occupied much of the, the island. Um, but it much, much more recently, in the last 50, 60 years, the Dominican government, a uh, number of leaders, had, had sown seeds of, even, even more seeds of distrust and even hatred of the outsider, of the other, and that was something that had was often taught and talked about openly in schools and in society and and it would be a, a fear of of the haitian kind of the haitian hordes that they imagined were just waiting to come take over their country when in reality the the haitian government was very very weak the strength of the two countries militarily was was not even comparable. The Dominican military was uh, well-funded and 
fairly modern, whereas the the Haitian military was non-existent. Um, there were a lot of myths and misunderstandings between the two countries that fed into uh, the national politics and at times even into the church. So we, as the Church of the Brethren in the U.S., would would see the relationship within the church between Dominicans and Haitians, and um, there were there were often even within the church tensions surrounding misunderstandings that came. Some came from language, some came from culture, but some came from different historical understandings that dated back generations and were often fed by actors outside the church and at high levels of government. So that was uh, Jeff Bosart talking a little bit about the context of statelessness in the Dominican Republic with persons of Haitian descent and the church's response there. Uh, in this and hopefully future podcasts, a look at the, the question of displacement. Um, part of it is to help us be aware of context of statelessness and how the church, both globally in the U.S. and in the Dominican Republic and other places, can help to address uh, these communities in need, but also to raise the question of what it means uh, for us as Christians to both follow Jesus and to live in communities and to to think about what it means for us to be both rooted in those communities, but also to be uh, at some t- at sometimes a little bit at odds with those communities. How can a country just rule that people who have lived there all their lives are not citizens? They can't go back to Haiti, a place they have never lived, even though their ancestors were from Haiti. The conditions there are even more desperate than in the camps in the Dominican. What would you do? I have never been without a home, but I am one of those who have gotten homesick all my life. As much as I loved working at a camp as an adult, I was the fourth grader sent home midweek because I couldn't stop crying. I'm also the adult who loves to travel but desperately misses her own bed after three weeks away. As a young adult, my family moved the same weekend I went off to college. My dad was a pastor. I guess I followed in his footsteps. I was delivered to college after only one night in my parents' new home. I felt like I had lost my home. There was no place to go back to when I felt homesick. I can't imagine feeling so unwelcome in the country I thought was home. You can Google Dominican Republic immigration crisis and read background on this ruling and the history behind these immigrants. What you may find might cause you to think about our own country and the constant battle over immigration. I think we take our citizenship for granted. We're happy to get a blue passport from the USA when we need it, and we fairly seamlessly travel anywhere we want in the world. There was a time, and maybe still is, when Brethren felt so alienated from the nationalism of America's loudest patriots that some felt no appeal or pride in claiming U.S. citizenship. But in fact, it is our citizenship that allows us to voice complaint, to stand apart from national decisions, and to have the freedom to live and worship as we choose, all because we do have a home. And yet our true home is with God. 
Dunker punks recognize that following Jesus often alienates us from the pro-military fervor around us. I see people almost unconsciously pledge their allegiance without giving a thought to where their primary allegiance belongs. When I keep my priorities straight, I can proudly wave a flag or protest against unreasonable legislation because I have a home here in the U.S. But I know that my primary allegiance and home is with Christ. Nate Hustler, who is also one of the ministers on the team of the Washington City Church of the Brethren and a co-host for young adults in his home, recently quoted a very old Bible passage in a sermon from Leviticus 19. When an alien resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the alien. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as a citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This was the scripture that Jesus knew. Surely it guided him when he reached out to outcasts and those unwelcome in his day and in his society. Years after Jesus, we still struggle to welcome the people who are different, strangers, aliens. Yet are we not all children of God? People in the first century who interpreted Jesus' life and work wrote letters to each other. The one called Ephesians says this, When Jesus came, he announced the good news of peace to you who were far away from God and to those who were near. We both have access to God through Christ by the one Spirit. So now you are no longer strangers and aliens. Rather, you are fellow citizens with God's people, and you belong to God's household. As God's household, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is joined together in him, and it grows up into a temple that is dedicated to the Lord. Christ is building you into a place where God lives through the Spirit. We who have a home a place Christ is building in us and into us, who also have a home in the United States, can tell others about people who have no place to call home. I challenge you to Google this week and learn more about those in the Dominican Republic who have no place to call home. Then tell someone about what you learned. We can spread the word and build compassion for these aliens who need the support of those who do have a home. Thanks for listening today. The next episode of the Dunker Punk Podcast will air in mid-May with Noemi Flores discussing Christians in the world but not of the world. And keep an ear out for a bonus episode from Emmett and the folks he talked to at Ecumenical Advocacy Days. The Dunker Punk Podcast is a collaboration amongst a dozen or so contributors who have found a home in walking the Jesus way together. Support the show by commenting on our Facebook page, retweeting a show post, following us on Snapchat, or leaving a rating on iTunes. Our username on social media is always Dunker Punk's Pod, and our show page is arlingtoncobb.org slash dpp. May God bless you with a strong sense of where your home truly is, so that you can welcome others into the comfort of the places you live. Fear not, for I am with you, Jesus said. What better assurance can there be?